been preaching. And uh, let me know if you find any. I'll uh, I'll be glad to join you in on that. And uh, but I hope that you uh, enjoy tonight. Listen a little bit. I'm glad all of you are joining me. I tell you what, it is a sad thing to come in here and not have anybody with me to uh, talk to me while I'm teaching and preaching. I'm trying to get my clock here set up. And uh, but it is an encouraging thing when y'all join me. Hey everybody, thank you for saying hey to me. It's good to see all of y'all as always. I, uh, I miss you. I really do. Church is my life. Christianity is my life. Jesus is my life. Church people are my life. And uh, I love to see every single one of you. Thank you so much for joining me. I love it when we have church on Sunday. I get to go to both services. Of course, you can if you'd like to, but I get to sit through both services, see people on both sides, and I'm uh, just so glad to get our hearts encouraged in fellowship. Now, if you... Uh, I'm sorry it's been a rough week. I hope it gets better today. And uh, hey, Miss Karen, if you missed our vision Sunday night, I just want to tell you, you missed a great service, a great service. Hey, Rick, hey, Nan, we had a good time of worship together and just a family time of talking about all the things that God's going to do in our lives. I hope you were there. Man, it was good. I've been riding the high of some of that all week long and just excited about what God is doing here at Liberty. Now, I know Liberty is not the only place God's doing something, but it's the place he's doing something where we're at, and we're living right here. And uh, so glad to be part of a church where Christ is made preeminent and where we try to uh, follow the Lord's leading and do what he wants us to do and be obedient and try to reach the lost. There are lots of areas we need to work on and get better on, but but our hearts are willing, and we're willing for God to take us wherever he wants to go, we want to go, and we want you to come with us, and so make sure that uh, if you have friends, people looking for church, take every opportunity that you have to invite people to church. I just moved into a new neighborhood back in August, working on some of my neighbors, trying to find out where people are, what's going on, invite them to church, and uh, get them to know the Lord, because if I found something good, man, I want them to know about it too, and it's a great thing. When we do that. Now, I'll give you some announcements about some things coming up. This is November, as you know. Thanksgiving will be upon us before we know it. And then you know what's next. Christmas is here. And then we'll be in 2021. Uh, probably going to have a new president. I don't know about all of that. But we know God's still on his throne. And we'll be excited about what he's going to do in 2021. And uh, we read in the book of Revelation. And we need reminders of it all the time. That... Uh, even though things may look bad sometimes, it always ends with God on his throne, accomplishing his purpose, and us gathering around him for all eternity, praising his name. And so that's what we're looking for. That's the worst end that we can face is with God forever, praising him, church all the time. It'll be incredible and awesome. But let me tell you some things going on now. Every year at Christmas time in the past, we've had a tender hearts has put a Christmas tree outside in the vestibule of the church with little uh, hearts on it where you can buy a gift for a 10-year-old boy or a 6-year-old girl or a 51-year-old man, if you wish. I'm just teasing about the man part. That's a reference to me. Um, but this year, we're not going to do that. We're not going to put the tree out. The church is large. It's hard to keep enough hearts on there to get everybody a gift. But what we're going to do is not this Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, November the 22nd, we're going to take up a special offering for tender hearts to purchase Christmas presents for needy children. 
Some of you have asked me, Brother Dusty, you know of a family who needs help. And at the church, I don't always know that level of detail, but Tender Hearts certainly does their ministry out of our church. We support them financially. Pastor Matt serves on the board. We take service opportunities there with Tender Hearts, and we'll be taking up a special offering on November the 22nd. That's not this coming Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but it's the following Sunday. Anytime you want to give to something like that, if you put it in a tithing envelope and mark it, we always make sure it gets where it's going. But that special offering will be in the 930 and the 11 o'clock service. We'll take a special offering for Tender Hearts to buy gifts for needy families in our community. And that funding goes straight to help people right here. Probably people you know, and they probably don't want you to know that they have that need, but they live right here. And so be praying about what God would have you do about that on November the 22nd. And then the 29th, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, of course, that's the last Sunday of the month. Our starting point collapse will be going on, and we will be helping people figure out how to take that step from just attending to membership. And after the uh, Vision Sunday and all, I had two different people come up to me telling me they were considering joining the church and wanted information about those things. And so that's always exciting when people want to do that. So if you know people who need that help, direct them to Pastor James so that he can he can help out with those things. I almost drank this water that's in here in our video room, but this water, you can see, is only about half full. It's been in here a long time. And I know that Pastor Brad, Pastor Matt, Pastor James, all shoot videos in this room. So I'm certain that all of us have drank out of this. So this is holy water. All the pastoral staff has drank out of this bottle. And if you'll PayPal me a $100 donation, I will send you this holy water drank from by the pastors of Liberty Church. Definitely holy. I much prefer Code Zero. I know where it comes from and it's safe. So give me a second. Thank you very much. All right. So take your Bibles and open them with me to our last session in 1 John, all right? Oh, I'm not drinking it, Rick. I thought about it, but I'm not quite that thirsty. Uh, if I get that thirsty and you take a swig of it, you'll know. But hey, if one of us gets something, all of us will get something. You see it's all falling out, all in the hospital sick. It's because we drink the holy water. And uh, yeah, you know how all that goes. All right, 1 John, we're going to be in the uh, first part of chapter 3. We've been talking about this walking and fellowship or having fellowship with God. Fellowship is the key word of 1 John, being in fellowship. Fellowship this way, which always leads to fellowship this way. It always works that way. If you're having fellowship with God, you want to have fellowship with other people. Don't give me this idea that you walk with God and you're a lone ranger Christian. You don't go to church. You don't fellowship with other Christians. That's not so. Real fellowship with God always leads to real fellowship with other believers. Now, you can have fellowship quote-unquote, with a lot of people, but real fellowship only takes place if this is right first, then this flows from it and not the other way around. And so I would just uh, remind you to think about that as we approach this book in its entirety. But in John, we, we discussed already what are the proofs that I'm having fellowship with God. And John gives them to us. And for the first week or two, we talked about the proof of walking in the light. And walking in the light is having the right attitude toward sin. We talked about confession and all that that entails. That was like in about our very first or second session. Then the second proof that I'm walking in the line is I do righteousness. All right, that's what the Lord leads us to do those things which are right. And then, I mean, I, I practice obedience. And then I reject false doctrine. Those three things are part of walking in the light. 
The second proof that I have fellowship with God is that I do righteousness. I practice those things that honor and glorify the Lord, and I do all the will of God. I surrender to the commandment and to the commandments. God in his preeminent place and then all of his commands. And then tonight we're going to talk about the third test of fellowship, and it is walking in love. Walking in light and then walking in righteousness and then walking in love. Now remember at the very beginning of 1 John, it says these words, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But that's not the most famous God is statement in 1 John. What is the most famous one? It's found here in chapter 4. God is, finish it, God is love. That's exactly right. But I want you to get that the phrase God is love does not show up till chapter 4, verse 16. God is light shows up in chapter 1. And sometimes we emphasize one above the other. And we do so to our own peril because it's an error. It's not just that God is love. It's God is light. God is love. And the light is representative of his holiness because he says, in him is no darkness at all. That means he is brilliantly, perfectly white and holy. Then I can make the application that God is love. And his love and his light, his love and his holiness are not like this toward one another. They are like this. And you cannot separate those two things. They do not exist in opposition. And when we emphasize the love over the light, then we end up with questions like, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, the reason why you would think that or try to figure that out is because you missed the first part. God is light. That's first. And his love is in terms of his light. See, First John delivers us from, from this surface view of love. I hear people talking about God sometimes like he's some, some good-natured old man up in heaven, some grandfather just wanting to pat all his little children on the head. But we should delight in his holiness, and we should delight in his love. But my natural heart, it doesn't like the holiness. It just wants the love. But it fails to understand there can be no real love unless there's holiness. Unless there's holiness. I put it to you this way. So y'all know my son, Porter. He's the one that ran back and forth across the front of the church during the night of, of worship. We're still working on him a little bit, uh, training him. All the kids are in training. Don't expect your kids or any kid, any child at church to be perfect, to always respond in politeness, to be well-behaved. They're in training, all right? Most of you hadn't even gotten the polite and well-behaved part figured out yet. So why would a three-year-old? So anyway, when, when, when I'm dealing with Porter, my love for him insists that he obey the rules in my home. It insists that I not always give him his way. That is the light part of me. Because I understand that if I just, in my loving grace, let him do whatever he wants to do, I'll be talking to him through plexiglass one day on a phone because he'll be in prison because he never learned to submit to authority. And so my love is in terms of the light or the holiness or the law of my home. And the Bible reminds us clearly that if you don't discipline and chasten your child, it's not because you love them too much, as people have told me, I love them too much. This one. No, you don't love them enough because it's difficult. 
to be a disciplinarian a disciplinarian when you just want to just love them but your love realizes they're going to grow up and they're going to be the products of the values that you give them and if your love doesn't train them then it's not real love it's not, it's, i don't care what you say it's just a warm fuzzy feeling because love wants to protect the child and wants to produce in him things that will help him all of his life and one of the things that he needs to learn, the very first rule is that he is under authority. He has to obey. Yeah, he does. Because all of his life, there's going to be somebody to obey. It's a myth to think, oh, I'm just going to do my own thing, run my own life. Nobody runs their own life. Nobody. Everybody has somebody to answer to. Um, and if you're at the very top of the food chain, the president of the United States or whatever you want to do, you still got rules and things you got to abide by. And over all of it is a God that sits in the heaven and everybody has to learn to obey. And so it's walking in light and walking in love. Those things go together. God is light. God is love. And delight in the holiness of God that puts those boundaries around you. That's an expression of his love for you. And just thank God for who he is. Don't try to change him. Don't try to make him into a God of your liking or your image. You can't understand and see things as they are anyway. And you need to understand that he is who he is because he's God and you're not. And ask him just to open up your heart to all that he is and thank him for who he is. God is light. God is love. And don't teach your kid God is love. Teach him God is light. God is love. Those two things must go together because they complement one another. And his love is always in terms of his light, of his holiness. And that's why it's listed first in 1 John chapter 1. And we don't get to the love of God until we get to chapter 3 and chapter 4. Now, what is the proof that we're walking in love? This test of fellowship to walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in righteousness. This is the third one. Fellowship with God. We walk in love. We find it in chapter 3. Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, sons of God. The world knew him not, know us not. We talked about that a little bit last time we were together. But I want you to catch this. I want to give you the love, how we know we're walking in love in a negative sense first. Chapter 3, verse 13 says this. Marvel not... My brethren, if the world hates you, and then it goes into, we know that we have passed from death in life because we love the brother. How do we know we're walking in love when the world hates us? When people who hate God hate you, you know you're walking in the light. What do I mean by world? Do I mean the people of the world? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the world's system that is an enmity against God. And the proof that I'm walking in love is that when the people who hate God hate me, then I know I'm on the right side. The Bible always warns us, be careful when all men speak well of you, when all men love you, when you're liked by everybody, when the world who's on their way to hell likes you and accepts you, there is a problem. You're not walking in the love of God. The love of God means that those who hate him hate you. And they hate us because of the love of God that is in us. Now, let me just touch on something just for a minute. My interaction with humanity should always be based in the love of God. God is light, God is love, all right? I'm, I'm, all, I'm telling them the truth, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But it's based on the love of God. I do not have to be antagonistic to prove that I'm a Christian. I have been street preaching with guys who took it upon themselves to incite someone to argue with them and to fight with them because their 
human fleshly nature fed off of that. That's not what God is talking about. It means that just when I follow God in humility and walk in love, the world will hate me because my life convicts them. I don't have to be antagonistic. The Christ in me is offensive enough. The Bible in me is offensive enough. I can be sweet and mild-mannered because Christ through me will cause the world to hate me because they have always hated Christ. You do it all by itself. But the first proof that you know you're walking in love is that the world doesn't know you. It hates you because it hates God. That's the first proof. Now, the second is that we are to love the brethren as God loved them. 315, whosoever, 14. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And we know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive we the love of God. This is a powerful verse. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what he says. So get, get this. He says, we love the brethren, or we hate the brother. brethren. Those two things, love and hate. He doesn't give us any middle ground at all. It's either love or it's hate. And if you hate your brother, he says you're a murderer. So just following the logic of the verse, it says anything less than love is murder. That's what he says. That's what the passage teaches us. If you don't love your brother, you may as well murder him. It's, it's the same in the eyes of God. Love and hate. Now, I get it. There are people that are extremely difficult for us. And God's not calling on us to like everybody. They don't have to be my best friend. I have to love them. And what is love? Oh, God gives it to us. It's not, he doesn't make some warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, when brother so-and-so shows up, I just feel, oh, lovey-dovey. That's what he's talking about. That, that's sentimental. That's easy. You can put on a Hallmark movie, light some scented candles, rub some essential oils on your forehead or whatever you want to do, and you can feel in love with whatever you want to feel in love with. But then last... What is real love and how is it proven? Well, he gives it to us in verse 16. We perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What is love? It's not a feeling. It is an action of giving of myself for the benefit of others. That's loving the brethren. Now, let me tell you something. When we're at church and the worship team is singing and I sense the presence of God, and I look out across the crowd, and I see hands raised and people worshiping, and sometimes I, I catch a tear glistening in the light as it goes down somebody's face. I just love y'all. I just love you. Because we're worshiping Jesus. Man, I get overwhelmed. I just want to run hugging everybody. But Corona and, um, and liability charges and things prohibit me, insurance regulations prohibit me from doing that, uh, and, and disrupting the service. I love you because I love you in the moment. But is that the proof of love? Proof of No, that's not the proof of love. That's responding to the emotional fervor of the moment. doesn't prove anything. Love is when I lay down my life for you. And it doesn't always mean in the sense of martyrdom. Now I'm going to take a bullet for you. In fact, of course, obviously I've never taken a bullet for anybody. But it's almost easier, in the sense, to give my physical life for you than it is to practice laying down my life for you on a day-to-day -day basis. It means giving of my life to meet your needs. That's what it means. In fact, he says, if I see my brother, 
have a need and I shut up my heart to it, the love of God doesn't dwell in me. Doesn't dwell in me. Somebody has a need and you won't give to it. You don't know the love of God. If you see somebody in need walking down the road, you don't you don't know the love of God. If you won't try to help somebody in need, now I understand there's some sensitivity to people walking down the road and picking up hitchhikers and those kinds of things. I'd warn you to be careful and God lead you and all that because the world that we live in, there ought to be something inside of you that is always eager to help and does not look at the needs of others as an inconvenience to you, but as an opportunity to express the love of God. It's either love or it's hate. And if it's hate, it's murder. That's what he says. He doesn't give us any middle ground. He just drives it straight home. Love your brethren. Say, Brother Dusty, like the man the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my brother? And he starts off, Jesus gives him the story of the Good Samaritan. But your brother, in the strictest context of this, is your fellow believer. But it's more than that because verse 16 says, as God laid down his life for us. It's not just your Christian brother. It's your brother man that he's talking about. The gospel takes us beyond those things. And I would just ask you, ask God to show you things in your life where you are laying down your life for someone. You can't find any. If you're not making any sacrifice for the benefit and good of others, then you're not walking in love. You're not walking in love. You're not. And if you're not walking in love, you're not in fellowship with God. You're in fellowship with God. It's not about the position of your, do, uh, the, the uh, argument of your doctrinal position or the verification that you're right on some text or, or arguing about, about things that we argue about in church. Those things can just all be set aside. Let me see it in the love life of laying your life down for other people. And I just tell you, when I, when I study, this convicts me. And it convicts me because I get irritated with people. Phones blowing up, people texting me, people going, oh. that's just the evidence that I'm living in hate. Tell Brother Dusty, that's too strong. Well, it's not love. And if it's not love, I don't have any other option. And if I'm hating, I'm a murderer. And sometimes when y'all call me, I would, I do want to kill you. I'm just kidding, a little bit. But you get the point that I'm making. We all live in the frustration of needy people on us. Needy people. Oh, I don't want to be that way at all. I look at the opportunity. What's my opportunity? To show the love of Christ. And if you will ask God, God, open up doors of opportunity for me so that I can walk in love and love my brother man, I promise you, he will give them to you. You might regret it by the end of the day, but he will give them to you. Love the brethren. Do you? Do you? Don't tell me you love Jesus. Don't tell me you love Jesus. That's easy to say. Easy to say. Show me you love Jesus by loving Jesus in your brother. You know the passage of Scripture that says that Jesus will have the sheep and the goats before him, and he will look at the goats and tell them to depart from him. And he says, you have to depart because I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. They said, when did we see you like this? He said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And he rewards the sheep. He says, look, I'm rewarding you because you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. They said, when did we see you like this? He said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so I would just remind you that when you pull up to the stoplight and the guy's standing there begging, that's Jesus. That's Jesus right there next to you. So, Brother Dusty, you just don't know what he might be doing. That's not my issue, what he does with it. That's between him and God. But if I have the wherewithal in my pocket to give, and I do not give, and I roll up my window, how do I pull up with God in you? Well, he just might buy beer with it. He might. 
But God's not holding you accountable for what he does. He's holding you accountable for what you do. And if you have the opportunity, show the love of Jesus Christ. Give, give, give of yourself. Lay down your life for others. That's what he's saying. So Brother Dusty, I don't know how to do that. Well, swim by the church sometime, and I'll show you some ways you can get started by doing things right here at Liberty. In the quietness of nobody knowing what you're doing, you can give as unto the Lord and help somebody else. That's walking in love. That's walking in love. It's way, way beyond the warm, fuzzy feelings of hugging people and feeling nice, feeling the family environment of the church. I love those things, but that's not where it's proven. It's proven in the day-to-day -day laying down my life. And I want God to work that in my heart. I am not there. I'm not there, but I see it. For a long time, I didn't see it. And seeing it is part of the part of the process. And so beginning to understand it, God leading me forward. And if God, if God opens your eyes to something, it's because he wants to lead you forward into it so that you can grow in your experience. You can turn me off, walk away from it, and live like you've always lived. That's fine. You'll just quit growing. But if you want to grow, he'll show you. Ask him. Give you opportunities to show the love of Christ that you can walk in love. Now, the third way we know we're walking in love is in chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of Christ, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So what does that have to do with love? I'll tell you this. Love will try the spirits. Put it to you this way. In the 1990s, it was estimated that there were 1,200 religious cults in L.A. alone. 1,200 religious cults. And we as Christians sometimes adopt this idea of just live and let live. It's not my job to fix everybody. Of course, it's not. But I, I just go on in my life, live my Christian life, and I never try these spirits or or prove these spirits to see if they are genuine or not. I don't engage people. But love seeks and forces me to engage people who don't believe like I believe so that I may prove these spirits and believe not every spirit. It's a sensitivity to God and a concern for mankind that will not allow me just to walk on oblivious to everything else around me. It forces me to be a witness to others. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not walking in love. Love will push you to talk to that, that Hindu that you work with or, or, or that Buddhist or that Mormon or that Jehovah's Witness. You say, well, Brother Dusty, I'm scared to death. Then take your helpless dependence, cast it on Jesus Christ, and let the Holy Spirit talk through you. If you ain't got nothing to rely on, that's you're in the best state because God always uses the weak and despised things, and he wants to do it through you. Helpless dependence is the best place you can be because you're relying on Jesus Christ for those things. All right? Got to hurry just a little bit. All right? The fourth thing, the fourth way we know we're walking in love, chapter 4, verse 10, we will have the right attitude toward God's love. Herein is love. You can quote this one. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The right attitude toward God's love is the proof that I'm walking in love. Let me ask you something. Can you lose your salvation? Most of them would answer, absolutely not. We can't. And that is the doctrinal position of liberty, and I believe the one that the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches if you genuinely have it, you cannot lose it. And I think those who have lost it, lost it because they never really had it. 
And First John chapter 2 goes into that in some detail about those things. But I heard a man tell the story of a man who was talking about this, and he said, I know I'll never lose my salvation because I love the Lord too much. What a terrible, terrible thing to put your confidence in. I'll never be ashamed of Jesus. I'll always stand up for him. Yeah, that's putting your confidence in your love for God. Don't put your confidence in your love for God. Put your confidence in God's love for you. Here in his love, not that we loved God. That's not the first thing. No, no. And when somebody talks about that, about their love for God, I, I'm always cautious. I'll be honest with you. I don't even like the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. You know it, Oh, How I Love Jesus because he first loved me, you know. Yeah, I, I'm just careful about magnifying my love for him because I know that verse where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I quote that to Anna all the time at home. I come up and say, baby, do you love me? She says, yes. I say, keep my commandments. It doesn't have the same effect on her that when, as when Jesus said it. But the proof is, is that we're not trusting in our own love for God. That's not the confidence. It's our, his love for us. Let me ask you something. How has your love for your spouse been in your married life? I promise you this, it's been up and it's been down. There have been days you could conquer and fight the whole world from them because you love them so much, and there's days you're so sick of them, you just can't wait to get away from the house for a little while because your love is up and down. If you can't love your spouse consistently, how you don't love God consistently? Why would you put your confidence in your love for God? Away with all of that. Put your confidence in God's love for you. Put your confidence there. That's the rock. That's the security that we have. And I, I want to say something, and I hope you'll understand it. And then I'll expand on it a little more. We need to love God, not just be in love with the love of God. Does that make sense? You need to love God and not just the love of God. A lot of people think they love God when they're really just in love with the love of God. They forget that he is light and love. Because God will do things in your life that appear unloving at times at times the other day i had to discipline porter for something and i asked him i said i said do you love me he said do you like me he said not always <laughs> not always that's all right i don't always like him either but the proof that we really love god is that we love the person of god not just who he is and it's proven in how i respond to the unloving aspects of god like like Job. Do you think Job felt the love of God when God took everything away from him in that fateful day when he lost everything in a moment, buried 10 kids? Do you think he felt in love with God? No, but he said this, naked came I from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Get it? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a man who is not in love with the love of God. He is in love with the God of love. And there is a vast difference in those things. If I only feel in love, the fuzzy warm of all God loves me, I'm his child, I will fall on my face when God does those things in my life that appear to be unloving, appear to be against my progress, that go the opposite of what I prayed for. When God breaks my heart, when he takes things away from me, when he doesn't give me what I asked for, if I'm just in love with his love, I'll get mad and I will quit and many, many, many have quit 
because they were just in love with the love of God, not with the God who is love. Not understanding he is light and love and his purposes are greater than ours. But if I can see wreckage all around me, can't figure out what's going on, all I can say is blessed be the name of the Lord. That is the man who has reached a level of Christian maturity and is not just in love with the love. He's in love with God. Do you remember how when you were a teenager, you said you loved a girl? Did you love her? Of course you didn't. You loved how, you made, how she made you feel. You love what she could do for you. You love the status that you had when you were with her or him, whatever the case may be. And the older you get, the more and more you realize you know less and less about real, what real love is. It's the same thing with God, not just being in love in an infatuated sense. It's loving the God of love and loving all that he does, even when you don't understand it. Loving him anyway, that's Christian maturity. That is walking in love. And the Bible says way more about the will of God than it does about the love of God. And the love of God is my support in doing the will of God. And God will lead us forward in his will, even if at times it does not appear to be loving. Understand, it's not an issue of character. It's an issue of perspective. You don't understand things the way God understands things. Just like Porter at home does not understand my perspective because he's three and I'm 51. We don't understand things that God is looking at because he sees the whole scope of things. We're just living in our little, little spot of time. And it would be stupid of me to set the navigational charts for the entire world based on the wind currents of the mud puddle in my driveway. Wouldn't it? Well, it's just as dumb as when I try to judge what God is doing based upon the little details of my small life when the world has been in existence for thousands of years and there's 8 billion people in the world and God is moving forward with his purpose. I just got to understand that I am just a piece in his grand scheme. And if I will yield to him and love him for who he is instead of just for what he does, he'll use me for his honor and glory and reward me richly when I see him. All right, chapter 5. Of 1 John. Chapter 5 is the concluding chapter. It is the, we have walked in light. We have walked in righteousness. We have walked in love. This chapter, we're going to walk in faith. This chapter gives us the how to have fellowship with God. The other chapters gave us the proof that we had fellowship. And how do we have fellowship with God? It's right in the very first verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. It is the proof that we are walking in faith because we know Jesus Christ and the life that he gives us by faith. That's what makes that fellowship possible. Let me show you a couple of things. Got to trim it down just a little bit to make sure I get everything I want to talk about in here tonight. Notice it with me, though, that in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. First of all, I hear people pronounce, mispronounce this all the time. Grievous is not a word, all right? My wife corrects me when I say it. It's grievous, all right? Now we've got that taken care of. My wife is happy. I'll probably get a kiss when I get home because of that. Uh, if she's watching me, she's probably watching something else. Uh, I would be probably if I was home when she was teaching. But anyway, the obedience, God's commandments are not grievous. Now what does a grievous commandment mean? means one that you chafe to keep. means it's hard, it's difficult. And he says, no, not if you take it by faith. 
he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ has the love of God in him, and the commandments are not grievous to him. He loves to keep them. He loves to keep them. It's the difference of the rules in a home from a loving husband versus a tyrannical husband. Your wife loves to keep the, the guidelines of the house that you've established or whatever because she knows you love her. It's, it, the rules are nothing, nothing. When love is gone, oh, it's the grind of it. It's difficult to keep these things. It's hard to do these things. But faith makes obedience a delight. Faith makes obedience a delight. When I am resting in what God has done for me in the person of Jesus Christ, faith makes it a delight. And then I want you to notice this, this certainty of faith, all right? It says, for we know that we love, verse 2, the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. How do I know I'm loving God, the brethren, God's people? How do I know I'm loving God when these two things are together? Love for God is not real if it does not result in love for man. And love for man is not real if it's not based on obedience to God. It's just a warm feeling. Just a warm feeling. We can all get together and sing, we are the world, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything because it's not rooted in obedience to God. But if I truly love man, I will obey God. And if I'm truly obeying God, I will love man. Those two things go together. And if I don't obey God, I really don't love anybody. I really don't. I love myself because I refuse to bring myself into the place of blessing for my life and family. And these things rest in that obedience to God. Now, I got to touch on something in a doctrinal way just for a minute because I can't just skip over it. But there is a passage in 1 John chapter 5 that people have argued about for a billion years. Bible scholars argue all about it. I'm going to point it out to you and give you my take on it and then jump to what I want to finish with tonight. But notice in verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. What is he talking about, about the Spirit, and the water, and the blood? People have tried to make this all different kinds of things. But let me remind you that John is writing in opposition to a belicism called Gnosticism. I've touched on it just a little bit in 1 John, dealt with it more in detail in our study in Colossians, which you can find on YouTube, uh, in Rooted. Gnosticism is a hash of all different kinds of things, Christianity, Judaism, Eastern religion, self-righteousness, all of these things. But one of the things it denied was the deity of Jesus Christ, the deity or the or Christ being the Messiah for his whole life. Here's what they said that Jesus was born, he's a normal human, at his baptism, he became the Christ, the Messiah, God. But at his death, he ceased to be God because he died. God. And then afterwards, he's just Jesus. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I mean, John is saying, no, no, no. It's not so. All right. The three bear witness: the water, the baptism of Jesus. The blood, the death of Jesus, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that descended upon him. These all prove that Jesus Christ is one and the same all the way. And the resting place of our faith is that we have one perfect Savior. He was God by the water baptism, by the blood, by the Spirit, all the way through. That is what John is dealing with when he's talking about there. Don't try to make it more than that. And definitely don't try to make 
a human baptism or anything like that. John is just arguing against Gnosticism, and I have to point that out to you, and we can talk about it more in detail off camera if you want to text me or whatever. We'll discuss it in more detail, and I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Now, I want you to look at this passage at the end of the chapter. We're going to back up and hit one thing to close, but I want you to get this sin unto death. Verse 16, would you look at it with me? It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and God, he shall give him life for him that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is, is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Can we just take that, those words, and put it into this simple truth, all right? The Bible says, there is a sin unto death. There is a sin not unto death, all right? And if you sin the sin unto death, I'm not saying you should pray for it. That's what John is saying, because it's it's too far gone. But if, it's, if he hasn't sent a sin unto death, pray for your brother that God will bring him back. It's an expression of this love that we're to have and to walk in faith. But, but people ask me all the time, all the time, Brother Dusty, what is the sin unto death? Have I committed the sin unto death? I believe if you're worried about it, you probably haven't done it, because once you've gone so far, you lose that sensitivity to the conviction of the Lord. But this passage of Scripture is, is talking to two different groups of people. One is primary and one is secondary. The primary is the believer that God is talking to. And what is the sin unto death? Sin unto death is the ultimate refusal of God's will in your life. No, what you're saying. It's not a specific sin. If it was, we would have committed it by now, probably. It's not. It is, excuse me, it is a sin of degree. I have said no to God for the last time. Can Christians commit it? Yes, they can. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that people who abuse the Lord's table because of their abuse of the Lord's table, many of them are sick and many sleep, is what Paul said. Many of them are dead. And so you can. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not the judge, but I know people who circumstantially seem to have committed this sin and are dead because of it. I knew a missionary family that had a daughter that grew up, lived in their home, loved the Lord, and uh, she ran off on God and went, went out of the world shacking up with a guy. And uh, their, their family prayed, Dear God, we know she's your child. If she's not going to come back with to, to us and to you, don't let her drag the name of Christ through the mud. Just take her home. Two weeks later, she died. She died, and I remember as a teenager hearing that story from them. That's not secondhanded. From them, they told me that, and I was just like, "I got to get right with God." <laughs> you know, that that fear came on me because God said there is a line. I work at the rescue mission, and I talk to guys all the time. I remember a guy named Evan. Evan was gifted. He could sing. He could play the guitar. He could preach. But he struggled with a drug addiction. He came to the mission, got clean, got his life right, started going to the old folks' home and going to the, I shouldn't call them that, to the, to the retirement homes. I'm almost there. And he started going to the rescue missions and singing and preaching and singing. And and then he'd slip out and, and, and go use for a while. And then he'd come back. And this process went on for years. And somebody warned him, Evan, you've got to be careful. You Take advantage of the grace of God. And I remember hearing the story that Evan was in Nashville, and as he cut through a parking lot on his way to get some drugs, homeless guy robbed and stabbed him and killed him. And knowing what I know about Evan and knowing what I know about this verse, Evan may have said no to God the last time. And it's a fearful thing. There is a sin unto death, it says. 
So, Brother Dusty, how do I avoid the sin of the death? Walk in fellowship. Walk in fellowship with God. Yield to him. Give him everything. All right? Walk in fellowship. Well, how do I know if someone else has committed a sin of death? How do I know to pray for him? Let God lead and burn you in that area. If God burns you in an area, it's because he wants to do something. The burden to pray is the desire to do something. So walk in fellowship with God and allow him to burden you for people to pray for, to bring them back from, from, from that pinnacle and that precipice. But I can't deny that the passage is there. There is a sin unto death. You can push God too far. And he says, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I'm sorry, but it does exist. And it's a warning for us. Now, I do not want to end my Bible study in 1 John on telling all of y'all to be careful about the sin unto death. I am telling you to be careful. But what I want to go back and what I skipped over intentionally to wrap it up is this, these verses, John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 and 13. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life, I love this, is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, let me just break this verse down for you in basic simplicity. Number one, God has given us life. He has. Number two, this life is in Jesus. Number three, if you have Jesus, you have the life. Number four, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the life. You don't. Number five, you can know that you have it. And you can find this knowledge, number six, in the Word of God, the things he's written unto us. Let me just break it down for you, all right? We have the life. We often talk about eternal life, having eternal life, but we fail to understand what it really is. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Letting us understand that eternal life is not talking about the quantity or the time that we're going to be alive. It's talking about a quality of life. He's saying, I came to give you abundant life. I came to give you my life in you. So Brother Dusty, I don't have joy. I need joy in my life. Let me ask God for joy. You have joy because you have Jesus, and Jesus has given us his joy. You say, Brother Dusty, I, I need eternal life, overflowing on all sides. I need that abundant life. If you have Jesus, you have that abundant life. Well, my life's not abundant. It's maybe because you're not living in the good of it. Maybe it's because you've never appropriated it by faith and asked God to help you walk in the life you have already been given. Please understand the Bible says that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Second Peter tells us that we have received all things that pertain to life and godliness. I already have it. I don't need to ask God for the gift of anything. I need to open the box of the gift he has already given me and live in the good of eternal life. It's not something I enjoy when I get to heaven. It's something I enjoy right now. And whether the election goes in the opposite direction, if they're all just a bunch of cheats and liars, if I lose my job, if I'm struggling financially, I still have eternal life. It is overflowing on all sides all the time. That's what God wants me to have in abundant life. And if you have the Son, you have it. He that hath the Son hath this life. Brother Dusty, I'm not living in the good of it. Then walk in the light as he is in the light, and you will have fellowship one with another, and you can know, you can know that you have eternal life. Let me ask you something. In closing, do you know? 
Do you know? I mean, if you go to bed tonight, do you know that if you were to wake up and having died, you would wake up in the presence of Jesus? Do you know? Well, I don't believe a man can know. That's not what this book says. This book says, and we can know we have passed from death unto life. And we live in the good of this life by walking in fellowship with his son. Do you know? And are you living in the life that he gave you? Please understand, you see Brother Dusty dragging around somewhere, moping and mad and angry. It's because I'm not living in the good life that God gave me. I'm not living an abundant life. It's mine. I just ain't living in it, and I'm sinning. I'm sinning. And if you're moping around, whining and carrying on, it's because you're not living an abundant life. You're not living in the life that God gave you. We can live in it. He gave it to us. We walk in fellowship with him. I hope you will. And if you're walking in fellowship with him, then we can have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk in righteousness. Walk in love. Walk in faith. Have fellowship with God. Have fellowship with one another. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to me. Long-winded sometimes, but I hope you have learned something from the book. Of 1 John. I hope it encourages you to read and dig deeper. I feel like we just flew in a little plane and I reached out my hand with a little cup and just skimmed a little bit off the water. Six little droplets of truth to give us. But I hope that you will invest your life in knowing this book. It'll transform you. It'll make you a different person. But thank you for listening. If this video has helped you at all, share it with somebody. Let somebody know. And more than anything, enjoy the abundant life we have in Christ and enjoy the sweet, sweet fellowship, the fellowship that we can enjoy with the creator of the universe. God is light. God is love. All for us in Christ. Thank you for watching. Have a good night.